Matthew 4, Jesus' temptation. And some of you are familiar with that passage. And so we're going to take a look at what does the enemy, the liar, the tempter, Satan, the devil, the slanderer, what does the enemy's attacks, what do they look like as he tries to thwart God's plan? And how does Jesus resist that and stay the course? And there's going to be, hopefully, for each of us, some practical application of how do we better recognize the enemy at work to throw us off course, take our focus off of our Father, and how do we resist those uh, temptations. So uh, as we get into Matthew 4, uh, I just want to pause and say anything that we endeavor to do, anything that we take on, any challenge, any great undertaking, we usually come up with a plan. Uh, Early summer, I wanted to run a marathon Uh, this fall. And so I I sought out a friend who has run many marathons and got a running plan from him. Uh, Because it's going to take a strain on uh, my body, I ate differently. I drank more water. Uh, I bought special shoes that were supposed to make it a little bit easier. Uh, Eventually, my knees failed so that the metaphor kind of goes out the window. Um, But there was a plan and I knew it was going to be hard to do. So I got a coach and I had accountability and people following up with me. How are you doing? How did that feel? Evaluating heart rate and all that sort of thing. I knew it was going to be uh, difficult. So I had accountability. I had help. I had a plan. I knew there were going to be moments where I would be inclined to give in to, to sleeping in. And so I made preparations to avoid what I knew would be the most challenging aspects. And you would never go into a marathon without having training. You would never go into an undertaking without some thoughtful planning. And so it's interesting as we come to Jesus' temptation today that for many of us, we have a plan for our careers. We have a plan for our kids. We have a plan for our relationships, but no plan when it comes to a lifetime of faithfulness to Jesus and a plan for how we're going to deal with the temptations that we know will inevitably come. How are we going to stay the course? How are we going to stay focused? How are we going to keep going uh, by the power of the Spirit? So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians, or Matthew 4, open up there with me. We'll read the first 11 verses together and then we'll kind of slowly work our way through some of those. Matthew 3 was Jesus' baptism. Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus. Matthew 3, who is Jesus? The voice of the Father, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. What is Jesus' mission? Does he know? Is he focused on it? Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It says this. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. comes from Deuteronomy. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to, a holy, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, this comes from Psalms, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest your foot strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, Again, Third time, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall not worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus, fresh off this unimaginable experience of his baptism and the voice of the Father, the Spirit descends as a dove, is led into the wilderness uh, by the Spirit of God. He fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights, and the enemy seizes the moment to attack Jesus at a physically weakened state. And many of you know the enemy does not waste an opportunity when we are weak for any reason uh, to attack. And so the enemy attacks Jesus trying to get Jesus' focus off of the Father and onto something that might be desirable right in front of him. Uh, And it's just a strategy we see from Satan throughout Scripture where Satan says, forget the Father, forget his plans for you. Let's talk about the next 30 seconds. The enemy wants us to look at right now Uh, not forever. It's not unlike what happens in the garden, right? The enemy says, forget your relationship with God. Forget this garden. Forget all that he's given you. Forget everything. Forget eternity. Let's talk about the next 30 seconds. Check out that fruit. It's good, isn't it? It looks good. It smells good. You want to eat it, don't you? It's going to make you wise and discerning like God. You you want that, right? The enemy tries to get us to focus on the next 30 seconds. Uh, God says, no, 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 no. Back out, back out. Think about Think about eternity, long-term play. Think about the Father's plan unfolding in your life. The enemy says, focus on right now. Uh, As we get into the first temptation, uh, the first point here, I just want to say Jesus' temptation shows us something interesting. Jesus' temptation shows us that even when we're following God's plan, we're not immune to temptation. Jesus' temptation shows us that even when we're right where God wants us to be, we're not immune to temptation. Jesus' temptation shows us that temptation is a part of life on mission. Uh, What does life on mission mean? Think about some of the things that are said of Jesus about his purpose. Matthew 1, 28, his purpose was to what? Take away the sins of the world. In John 10, 10, he says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Elsewhere, we read that Jesus says, I came not to do my will, but the will of my Father who sent me. So how do we understand what this means, life on mission? Well, just from a couple verses about Jesus, we see he knew where his marching orders came from. John 6, saying, I came not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. He knew what his part in the plan was, Matthew 1, take away the sins of the world. And he knew the big picture. He knew what God was doing. He knew what God wanted for his life that we may have life and have it abundantly. And that's not all that we would become wealthy and never have health issues and never have job issues. It's that life abundantly would be found in him. So Jesus' life was on mission. He was doing exactly what the Father wanted him to do. And he still uh, enters into this temptation. And, and that's meaningful for a number of reasons, one of which is many of us think that we will outgrow some sort of temptation kind of like a young child outgrows diapers or outgrows wetting the bed. We think that we're just going to get beyond it and there's not going to be temptation uh, anymore. And and Jesus was sinless, right? And Jesus encountered temptation. Another reason that it's significant for us to see that temptation is integral and a part of a life on 
mission, a life with God, is because some of us are going to equate temptation with giving into temptation, and we live defeated lives. We feel perpetually guilty and filled with shame about the temptation that we experience. And so here we see a, a distinction where Jesus is going to be tempted yet without sin. And so I hope for us one of the things that happens is it normalizes the fact that if you're following the Lord, the enemy doesn't like you. If you belong to him, if you're an adopted son or daughter of the king, that means you have a target on your back from the enemy. If you're about your father's business, the enemy wants to get in the way. So I hope in in that way we, we normalize the fact that temptation is common to all. One of the enemy's biggest lies is that you're the only one who faces the temptation that you face. All you got to do is come to the Wednesday night men's group or any other ladies' group and sit down and hear the conversation at the table, and you go, oh, we kind of struggle with some of the same things, don't we? You do, you do. First uh, Corinthians talks about no temptation except is common to man, with, that uh, the temptation that we face uh, is common. The enemy lies and says it's just you uh, to isolate because his, uh, his role is to steal kill and destroy. Let's read the first two verses, and I just want us to see a little bit about what this temptation is all about that Jesus goes through. Uh, The first one, uh, verses, the first couple verses, uh, verses three and four, I kind of call this the, uh, it's it's not a big deal, temptation. Anyone ever been there where the enemy has said to you, do this? It's not that big a deal, right? Our kids face this all the time. It's not that big a deal. I just took this. It's not that big a deal. Uh, Let's read uh, from Matthew 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan says, You're hungry, right? just bread. You're hungry. You're the son of God, right? You can do it. It is well within your power to make these rocks into bread. It is well within your power, Jesus, to take something that you want, even though the father has not yet given it to you. You want it. It's just bread. What's the big deal? Has anyone ever, ever been there? It's, what's the big deal? Um, maybe Maybe you're talking uh, about someone behind their back. They deserve it. If they didn't want people to talk, they shouldn't have done what they did. The enemy says it's no big deal. Maybe you're tired of forgiving someone. Your patience has run out. They deserve the way that you treat them now. Uh, what the enemy says is it's no big deal. If they didn't want to be treated this way, they shouldn't have done what they did. It's no big deal. Uh, Maybe it's the things that you look at, the things that you think about. The enemy says it's a victimless crime. No big deal. Uh, Young people, uh, you're going to go out and hang out with your friends, and you're going to come back, and your parents are going to look at you, and they're going to say, where were you? What did you do? And you're going to have a choice. You can tell them some of what you did and some of who you were with, or you can tell them all of what you did and all who you were with, but the enemy is going to say... Telling them some is enough. It's no big deal. They don't need to know all of it. And so we see in this very first temptation, the the enemy comes to Jesus and says, take the bread. 
you're hungry. You can do it. What's the big deal? What does Jesus say from verse uh, 4? But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What do we learn about Jesus' response to temptation that might be useful for us when the enemy says it's really not that big a deal? Nobody's going to see. Nobody's going to know. It's not that big of a deal. Here's just a, a couple items from Jesus' response. The first is that because Jesus knows the scripture, he has a guide to help him navigate temptation. Some of you spiritually feel like you've been thrown into like a washer or a dryer and the spin cycle's on and you can't tell which way is up, down, left, or right. Uh, You're completely discombobulated and what is often needed is a clear, strong grasp of what God says to help us navigate the attacks of the enemy. Sometimes it's like being lost in the big city where every road, every turn uh, looks the same. Uh, we need a guide. We need God's word. We need, we need a guide. Um, not just uh, a guide. Knowing scripture helps Jesus define a set of values, greater values and lesser values. Notice that he says, man shall not live by bread alone. Physical nourishment is a big deal, but it's not nearly as valuable. It's not nearly as significant. It's not nearly as weighty as every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so as Jesus knows Scripture, it has created a set of values from which to discern the voice of the enemy in contrast to the voice of the Lord. Do you have those values? Do you have this road map? Do those values create a compelling case in your heart that the destination and the journey the Father has for you is better than all the off-ramps, all the detours that might look interesting to you at the moment? Knowing Scripture leads Jesus to not just say what is most nourishing is every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, but the reality that this is not just wise or interesting history or literature, but they're the very words of God recorded what is necessary for life and for life abundantly. And so in knowing Scripture, Jesus knows the Father and knows that it's the Father's approval that he most wants, uh, that man's is not even close. How many of us for our kids would just Kill to have our kids from a young age know that it doesn't matter what their friends think of them so much as if God is pleased with them. And so we see very early as Jesus responds with Scripture, uh, he's got a guide. Uh, That guide has created a compelling direction of where he's going, and he's not going to take the detour. He has the very words of God to guide him. The question is, for us this morning, uh, is Scripture that for us? Or are we discombobulated in our spiritual lives because we don't really know what this says? We really haven't given ourselves to it. We really don't submit to it. We maybe stand on it, not submit uh, underneath it. Let's look at the second temptation. That's sort of the uh, take what you want, 
it's not a big deal, uh, temptation. The second one, uh, Jesus responds with scripture. So now Satan is going to take that scripture and try to twist it to get Jesus to do what he wants him to do. And so just as we're reading this, consider that one of the enemy's attacks in our lives too is to twist scripture to try to create justification for us of doing something uh, that would clearly be against the Lord and, and bad for us. Matthew 4, starting in verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, let you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus says to him, Again, it's written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is kind of a strange, strange temptation, isn't it? Uh, Satan takes the word of God from the book of Psalms. It says the father will send his angels concerning the son to protect the son. And so Satan, no scripture, says, Jesus, you can jump off that thing. You're, you're not going to get hurt anyway. The father will send the son. Do it. Let's, let's see what happens. And Jesus instead chooses the path of quiet obedience and a ready acceptance of the will of God rather than doing what Satan has asked. Satan has asked him to demand a sign from God. Think about, think about what, might be, what might come of Jesus doing this stunt. If Jesus jumps off and he's protected and he doesn't fall all the way and he's safe, it might come with a bunch of recognition and notoriety. But Jesus' ministry was never about his recognition and notoriety, right? It was all about doing the will of him who sent him. If Jesus had doubt or unbelief about what his mission was, uh, jumping off and and maybe being rescued might cement in him, okay, God really is with me. He's going to see me through this. Uh, and, And so sometimes we ask God for a sign. We know he's led us somewhere, but we ask him for a sign in in disbelief or as our hearts are, as our minds waver. And so instead, Jesus chooses the path of quiet obedience, quiet trust, and ready acceptance of the Father's will without asking for a sign. And so I, I want to uh, come to you this morning and say, are you there with the Lord where you know he's with you, but you keep going to him asking for some sort of demonstration of that? Do you trust that he cares for your loved ones who are far from the Lord? And you accept his will, that he is involved, that he is in control without demanding a sign. Um, How else does the enemy twist scripture uh, for us in in temptation? Uh, Here's one that came to to my mind. Uh, John 10.10, I I referenced already. Uh, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life abundantly. And how how does the enemy twist that in our hearts? God wants you to be happy. God wouldn't want you to ever be unhappy. And just that slight distortion has led so many to wreck families, to abandon marriages, to put their own preferences and comfort ahead of the plans of God. Jesus says, I came that you might have life abundantly, the enemy says. God wants you to be happy. What's another one? 
Scripture says that everything belongs to the Lord. Everything you have, your time, your talent, your treasure, everything that you have belongs to the Lord. It's a gift from him. Uh, Maybe you grew up in a family with uh, resources. It's a gift from him. Maybe you started something from scratch and it has materialized and blossomed a hundredfold. It's a gift from him. Maybe you have uh, some sort of gift or talent. It's a gift from him. Maybe you navigated the stock market just perfectly in 2007 and 2008. It's a gift from him. What does the enemy enemy say to us? You earned that. It's yours. I can do what I want with what's mine. My time, my resources, right? Everything is a gift from God. It's clear from Scripture. What does the enemy say? You've earned it. You deserve to do whatever you want with it. You've worked hard. Nobody knows how hard you've worked. It's yours. You've earned it in the subtle Distortion has led many to be fixated on using what is theirs rather than investing what is clearly the Lord's. Third temptation from verses 8 through 10. So the first one is the, uh, it's no big deal. Come on, it's no big deal. The second one is the twisting of Scripture. Uh, Verse 8, 9, and 10 from Matthew 4. Last temptation. Again, it says, The devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. Call this the uh, take the easy way out. Take the easy way out temptation. And so the enemy takes him up to this high point, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Does it look like the enemy knows what Jesus' mission is? Does it look like the enemy has some sense of what God is doing, enough to know that Jesus cares a heck of a lot about these people and wants what's best for them and and is coming in some way to help, some way to rescue, some way to care for, some way to nurture, coming in some way to do good for this creation that, that the enemy has obviously had great success in thwarting, obviously great success in ruining, obviously great success of tainting the good that God made, right? The enemy has enormous power. One of the biggest lies is that the enemy has no power in this world Clearly, the enemy has had success. The enemy takes Jesus up and says, look at all this. You love these people, don't you? Look at all these people. Wouldn't you love to govern and rule them with love and with justice and with righteousness? Wouldn't you love to come and institute your kingdom here, Jesus? You can have it, Jesus. All you got to do is bow and worship me. What do you think is going through Jesus' mind at the moment? Uh, Father's plan is costly. Right? I think maybe at this point Jesus is thinking of what's before him, uh, what's coming down the road, thinking that would be a a lot easier than this whole cross thing. The enemy comes to him and says, Jesus, take the easy way out. Um, Have we been there? Have you you been there where uh, the enemy has come to you and said, take the easy way out, right? Right? this, this happens uh, often in our lives. Take the easy way out. Don't take responsibility for what you've done. Just hide it. Take the easy way out. This is a difficult relationship. This is a toxic relationship. Just kind of set this person aside. Just, just cut them out. That's the easy way out. 
The enemy comes to us in marriage and says, what's the easy way out? Well, you deserve to be happy. This person doesn't make you happy. Take the easy way out. One of the most successful ways the enemy gets us to take the easy way out is, uh, and it's so just all over the place here in Douglas County because we live in a beautiful place with all sorts of wonderful outdoor opportunities. You can do anything you want here, and it's spectacular. Uh, And we find the enemy is successful in helping and causing us to take hold of the lesser and letting go of the greater, taking the easy way out, being fixated on hobbies and interests and outdoors and the many things that we enjoy uh, at the expense of the more costly path engaging with the plan of God for our lives and for the world. Like we have, we have really broken things in our country, really broken things in our state, really broken things in Douglas County, and we're, we're duped daily to take the easy way out and, and enjoy what's before us and disengage from the meaningful things happening in our midst. Do you know that uh, in 2017... There was a ballpark of 11 or 12,000 kids in the foster system uh, over the course of that year. We have a foster care. We have a DHS. uh, We have a family crisis in our state um, uh, for human trafficking. You know that that Portland was recently uh, found to have the second most number of young people in forced prostitution, second only to Las Vegas. And we don't think of our state in those terms. We don't think of our backyard uh, in those terms. The Pew Research uh, Center did some uh, did a did a survey, and they ranked all 50 states um, by how quote unquote religious they were. Like California beat Oregon. California. I mean, California is the butt of 90 percent of our jokes. California beat Oregon. California was 35. Oregon was 39. Almost 40. Got a lot of work to do in our, in our backyard, and the enemy is so successful at creating a compelling case to take the easy way out and do what is fun, do what is comfortable, uh, in even enjoying this beautiful place that we live at the expense of more costly obedience. And so Jesus doesn't take the bait. Jesus says, flee from me, Satan. Uh, and what's interesting here is Satan flees and the angels come and they minister to Jesus. And we see the point, third point this morning is that Jesus' temptation reminds us that our enemy is already defeated. As Rick alluded to just a few minutes ago uh, during worship, that our enemy is already defeated. And so Jesus, not taking the bait here, uh, reminds us of what Hebrews 4 says, that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil. Jesus defeats the enemy here. Jesus on the cross, as reminded in Hebrews 4, uh, defeats the enemy on the cross. And Revelation 20 records the final defeat, the once and for all defeat, where Satan the enemy, the liar, the father of lies, the slanderer, the prince of this air, the prince of this world, is thrown forever into a place of eternal torment. A couple summary thoughts as we uh, wrap up this morning. 
much of the enemy's uh, temptation falls into the category of you earn it, you deserve it, take what you want, take it now. And so if you're, if you're there this morning uh, and, and you're taking, if you're there this morning and you're justifying why you're taking, why do you deserve to be doing what you're doing, why someone else deserves to have to be treated the way uh, that you're uh, treating them, uh, I would say reorient yourself around the word of God. It was never about Jesus' notoriety. It's about doing his Father's will. When we get off track, when we get in a detour, we become people who justify what we do rather than giving ourselves fully to the Father's plan. And so I would want to ask you, who is helping you stay the course? Who is helping you fix your eyes on the Father, not make excuses for not doing what he's called you to, asked you to, empowered you to, given you the opportunity? Who have you invited into that place in your life? Uh, usually if you're a guy, this needs to be another guy. Usually if you're a lady, this needs to be another lady. Sometimes that happens at the women's study on, on the mor- in the morning. Sometimes that happens at Wednesday night men's study, a great place to have other guys pray for you, lift you up, empower you, ask you questions, poke and, and prod and saying, how are you doing that? You asked for prayer for this last week. How is that going? Are you winning this week? Are you feeling defeated uh, this week? Who is helping you stay the course? Uh, the second observation as we, as we wind down, uh, Jesus' ability to navigate uh, temptation, Jesus having tools to fight against the enemy came from Scripture. So if Jesus, who was fully man but was also fully God, needed, relied on, used Scripture in temptation, how much more us? What are, we, what are we doing to become more knowledgeable about this? What are we doing to meditate on his words uh, day and night, uh, as the psalmist said? What are we doing to discover that these words light our path, that they are everything that we need for guiding and for correcting and for training in righteousness? Again, some of us feel like spiritually we're in that, that washer or dryer on spin cycle, and we don't know which way is up, and we don't know which way is down, and, and we're, we're, we're wobbly. Uh, Take hold of Scripture. Take hold of it. Finally, Jesus knew his purpose. Matthew 3, who is Jesus, Son of God, voice of the Father, spirit of dove descending as a son. Matthew 4, what is his purpose? Not to use his strength for his own ends, but to do the will of the one who sent him. Right? Not to be preoccupied with physical nourishment, but to be sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Jesus' purpose made it crystal clear what was in line with the Father's will and what wasn't. Do you know what your purpose is? Do you know your reason for being? Do you go to work with a sense of of mission and opportunity that God has led you here, placed you here, put co-workers around you uh, who need him, put family members around you who need him, put neighbors around you who need him? Do you have that sense of mission, that sense of purpose? Eventually, in like a year, we'll get to the end of Matthew. It won't actually be a year, but it's going to feel like it. Um... Eventually, we'll get to the end of Matthew, and we'll read 
Jesus' words to his disciples, right, where he commissions them out to make disciples of all nations, to go everywhere that they're sent, everywhere that they go, to be disciple makers first. So when we go to the store, we're not grocery shoppers first. We're disciple makers first who have got to get groceries along the way. When you go to work, you're not an employee. You're not an owner first. You're a disciple maker who needs to make a living or has been called into a vocation. You're walking your dog at the park. You're not primarily a dog walker. You're a disciple maker who has this animal that needs to get out of the house or there's going to be problems. Do you know your purpose? Do you know your mission? Is it interwoven in the fabric of who you are, every place that you go, every conversation that you have? If you do not have a destination, if you're not rock solid on your purpose before God, every turn, every detour will look attractive. It's like if you go out in your car and you just want to go see the pretty leaves changing around you. You go left, you go right, you go straight, you'll turn around. You're just sightseeing. It's just a joyride. If you have a purpose, if you have a mission, if there's a place you're going, a house that you've got to get to and a time that you need to get there, all of a sudden the left and the right are not, uh, they get in your way. They're distractions. They're deterrents from your mission. Do you know your mission? Those of you that are here this morning who maybe are just feeling the enormous weight of temptation in your life and the enormous guilt and shame of maybe uh, days, weeks, months, years, or even decades of defeat, I would, I would compel you this morning to share that with someone, to ask for prayer for someone. We'll have prayer people up here. We'd love to pray with you about those things. Maybe today you need to be reminded that the battle uh, has been won. Some of you are, are in this journey and, and you, you really, you're not even sure which way is up and, and maybe you're not even at this point following uh, Jesus. And so I'm, maybe even just this picture of baptism this morning, this m- picture of a new life, right? They go backwards signifying a physical and spiritual death and they are raised out signifying a physical, signifying spiritual Life being made new, being made a new creation, being adopted as a son or as a daughter to the king. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Make that same decision. You got an eight or nine year old like Parker saying, hey, what's the deal? You just need to follow Jesus, right? Uh, If you're there this morning, we'd love to be a part of that journey with you. Love to help make sense of what it means to say yes to Jesus. Love to help explain what It is to begin to be a follower of Jesus. In the very uh, next few verses after Jesus' temptation, he's going to begin to call people to himself. He's not calling them just to know something about him. He's not calling them just to do something for him. He's calling them to come and orient all of their life around who he is and follow him. So we'll get into that next week. But if you're here... Uh, And temptation is just resonating. I I hope that you see that um, temptation is a part of being life on mission. Uh, Jesus' example shows us that we can overcome it. And we're reminded that the battle is already won. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Can't say it better than Jesus, Lord. we, We don't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. 
Uh, Lord, we confess together that we are distracted. We confess together uh, that we have taken the enemy's bait, put hook, line, and sinker, Lord, and have chosen the easy way over and over and over. We confess, Lord, that we have not given ourselves to your word and in temptation. We often find ourselves confused. Well, what does God want? What is right? Um, Lord, thank you for your gracious call. Thank you that you sent the angels to minister to Jesus uh, in verse 11. You had a plan all along for everything that he needed. He just needed to wait. Lord, may we be people that wait for you to move. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.